the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to episode 150 of Magic Markets and we have a well-known voice on the podcast with us today. We've had a lot of really good shows where we've been looking at international companies, sometimes a bit of local. We've been doing two companies per show. Uh, Thanks to BTIT, we were able to bring you that for uh, weeks on end and we'll continue to bring you that. And the really cool thing is that every now and then we also get the team at Anbro on to come and give us their perspectives on global growth stocks and also just the markets in general. Justin, it's you this time. It's often Craig. We're always very grateful to have you guys on the show and we always really enjoy the engagement. There's always so much to learn from you. Uh, but before I say hello to you, let me uh, welcome Mo, whose camera is off because the internet in Canada is roughly as good as the weather, i.e. not very. Uh, hello, Mo, if you are there. Hi, Ghost. Hi, Justin. Uh, again, and, and listen, uh, to the listeners, yes, telecoms in Canada are terrible. So, I mean, if, if your telecoms in South Africa are way better, you know, I think South Africa is really quite uh, quite far ahead in some respects. But yeah, my, my internet, scrappy, but thankfully on the call. Uh, and happy to welcome longtime friend of the show and longtime personal friend as well, Justin Brophy from Anbro. Justin, really interested to get into a couple of key stories with you this week. I mean, we've gone through such interesting markets from the last time we had the team at Anbro on. You know, we, we, we had these big scares. You had U.S. Treasury yields pushing up to above 5%. You had, you know, this, this whole scare around, you know, is the Fed going to have to actually not pause but actually hike? That's now turned on its head. After last week, we had a dovish Fed and the world, all of a sudden, it's all steam ahead. Markets are pumping up again, you know, at least yesterday, today, maybe a little bit more scrappy. So we want to touch on some of the broader market points with yourselves at Anbro, watch your overarching view, and then also touch on an interesting stock that we had covered a while ago. And this is one that was close to me personally. It was one called Dexcom. And again, for those of you that may have missed it, it was some time ago. Uh, it is a company that is focused on diabetes diagnostics. And again, we're going to go into some of the detail around that because just that's been quite a roller coaster ride for you guys over there at Anbro. But welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ghost. And Mo, lovely to chat to you guys and your listeners as always. And uh, definitely, where would you like to jump in? I think we should start with Dexcom. Hey, Mo, what do you reckon? Should we uh, should we have a chat about uh, Justy's old favorite company that we've talked about a good few times on Magic Markets? I think listeners can always go back and, and search for some of the Dexcom shows, but to save you the hack, uh, just, I think it's always worth spending a couple of minutes just as a reminder of what this business does and why you like it so much. And then maybe let's dive into a recap on how it's been performing and, and you know, whether or not you still have it in your portfolio. Have you added to it, reduced, 
What's the thinking on that? Sure. I think let's start there. I think it's much easier and nice for once to be talking about a stock and not about global markets and the turmoil that uh, Mo was relating uh, in his uh, opening discussion there. So let's get down to, to Dexcom. I just thought it might be good to chat to your listeners and to yourselves again about a stock we spoke about in April. I think it was episode 119, where we actually started chatting about Dexcom and Star and a couple of different uh, counters in, in the more biotech space that are making a tangible difference. Dexcom, just a quick recap for listeners that don't know it or are new to it, is basically the world-leading provider of constant glucose monitoring devices. These are sticker-like devices for type 1 or type 2 diabetes sufferers. They're able to put these on relatively easily as a sticker and wear them with their smartphone then pairing with these and providing constant glucose monitoring as a solution. This allows for children, the elderly, uh, sportsmen, all sorts of walks of life for people to be able to actually monitor their glucose and you know apply insulin and apply solutions as per their medical condition and do it in a far more consistent manner. The, the problems with uh, uh, diabetes sufferers is that on an ad hoc basis, you know, previously years ago, what people used to do was check after lunch or just before they ate. And the problem is when you check your glucose levels like that, there's always the risk there's a spike in between. And those are the dangerous times where damage can be done. This is a far simpler solution and Dexcom really done well to roll this out globally. And it's available in South Africa as well. They've just launched their G7 patches out at the moment. And I know that there are South African people actually using it. Now, just I think before we even get into the weeds there, I just want to state that, you know, after our discussion, I went out, I did some proper due diligence. I got myself on a Dexcom trial. I got the device. I played around with it. And, and again, it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. And when I say it's phenomenal, again, not, not talking up the stock, I'm talking up the product specifically. You know, the difference between a pinprick glucose test and a constant glucose monitoring is just chalk and cheese. You can't really compare. And the end result is that I got a full diagnostic readout of my blood sugar levels over the trial period. It was 10 days. Uh, and that was so much more effective in having a discussion with a healthcare provider. Now, again, for those suffering from long-term serious diabetes, that has further ramifications in terms of how you manage your diabetes as well. So some proper due diligence. And my one caveat to that is that the product is still remarkably expensive. So unless you're covered under a health plan, unless you're covered by national healthcare, for example, in the UK, that might cover it for you. I know in Canada for, 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 for serious diabetes risk patients, they do consider some of these devices. But in the absence of that, if you're just looking at it on a more discretionary basis, the, the, the ongoing cost of those patches of of those tabs that you stick on yourself, that for me was a little bit of an inhibitor uh, in terms of just potentially where this product could go given the current pricing. To be fair, Mo, you are the tightest person I know. The tightest person I know. <laughs> so just, is this true? Is it expensive or is Mo just being tight as usual? Uh, I think Mo's always tight, let's be honest. Um, and uh, <laughs> served it well over the years. But here's, here's the bottom line. I think, you know, chatting about it today, before we dive back into to everything with it, the reason I thought it was important to chat to, to listeners about it is this is a company when we spoke about it, share price was about $112. Since then, it dropped to $74. And then as of today, post results, which were on the 26th, it's back up around 96 trading at the moment. I had to adjust that just before I came on the show because it was 94 pre-trading. And I just thought, you know, it's always wonderful to come and chat on a show about a stock that's doing incredibly well. I think it's also important to talk about a stock that we're sticking to 
regardless of the way it's pulled back and what it's doing now and what the results look like and also say what caused the stock to go from $112 a share to $74 and now back to $96. So I think the first place to kick off with is just to say that to the point you made, um, Mo, which is so true, which is it could be expensive, the new G7 patch that, that users would be using, and this is the, the sort of stick-on sticker patch that they've launched, the latest one that you would use as a, um, a diabetes sufferer, and you would wear this patch, like Mo mentioned, for a period of time and be able to monitor your glucose. $714 million of sales, which, which went through the States, are basically now covered for G7 and covered by medical medical aid top and medical insurance top uh, you know top structures and schemes, which means the real cost to the user was about twenty dollars. Now that's made a huge difference from their previous patch, which was the G6, and that that on the on the back of that is not only that, but it's also there's another scheme which I think is called pharmacy benefit scheme, which allows um, you to do a very similar thing. And uh, those also pay for the same thing. So from a cost point of view for this, it has come down dramatically. There has been a very big increase in support, both by medical insurance and obviously by government in terms of looking at this as a supportive structure. Now, if we look at this particular stock, just giving you an idea, they reported a revenue figure of around $975 million. The consensus estimate was beaten by $36 million on that particular stock. They were amazing in terms of gross margin and operating margin. Uh, they increased their gross margin by around 230 basis points, and they increased their uh, operating margin by about 620 basis points. So the efficiency that's come in the move from G6 to G7 as a company has been incredible. They basically beat their earnings per share, which they announced at 50 cents per share US. They beat Balmer 17 cents. So I think that from a results point of view, not only did they announce that they had beaten quite strongly, they also announced that they were raising the outlook, which was very interesting for a stock, particularly in the environment we're in at the moment. Now, a lot of their real growth came from both the US with a strong dollar and also outside of the US. They've had tremendous growth as well. So these guys are growing at an incredible rate and uh, they've had uh, an additional 18,000 doctors who are now prescribing Dexcom product. So G7, G6. So in terms of the reports, you know, the financial reporting, they've actually come through and not only have they, they beaten the expectation analysts, but they've actually raised their outcome. They've increased their revenue guidance um, to 3.575 billion. And uh, they really are looking at around 23 to 24% revenue growth year on year where management feels the product is incredibly strong. So why did the share fall back? And that's the question for today. That's what I wanted to discuss with you guys, the clients and, and of ours and uh, investors that are listening to this podcast would be open to understand what, what happened here. So the first reason something happened here was, and, and I must credit Craig. Craig came up with a great way of talking about it. He said, what I'm going to tell you about almost had the same impact as AR. And that is something which is called GLP-1, which actually is really an announcement of an amazing weight loss um, drug, which has come through, and listeners might know it as Wegovy, Manjaro, or Zempic around the world is what it's called. In terms of in terms of what this sort of uh, launch has done, is that when we consider 
all of us, when we eat something, what happens is that our stomachs and everything um, in the process will regulate how much insulin we actually produce and how much how satiated we are when we actually eat something. By the use of something like Wegovy or uh, Manjaro or Zempic, these new drugs, what happens is that starts to become far more regulated and this particular product has led to users losing a lot of weight, in some cases 15% of body weight. Now this has been hailed as an amazing weight loss drug. I actually wanted to quote here, I was listening to a, a Goldman Sachs analyst who put the opportunity of this Wegov, Manjaro, Zempic, all these GLP-1 type drugs at around $100 billion of an opportunity. Now when this landed, it obviously had a massive positive effect on certain providers and a massive negative effect in certain sectors. So impact, impacted sectors included on the negative side was fast foods, cool drinks, crisps, or as we call them as South Africans, chips. All of those kind of things suddenly took a hiding overnight. So it had the impact that AI had, you know, that things that were great were great. To the point even where, just like AI, even makeup providers, hair care, and health supplements suddenly took off. Because people started saying, well, as you lose weight, you feel better around yourself. You'll use more makeup, you'll do this. So it became this this massive train of how incredible this is. It's actually, it's a, sorry, Jaz, it's, it's, it is amazing how people will infer these incredible leaps of faith of like, right, there's this miracle weight loss drug. What does utopia look like tomorrow? Everyone is going like they're buying clothes, they're buying makeup. No one eats chips ever again. Doritos are dead. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's one thing we know, and I mean, I'm, I'm just putting my own piece on this, is that I don't know about you guys, but a lot of us have done diets and, uh, you know, we, we start that gym on the 1st of January and then uh, sort of it either gets cold through winter or we get busy and uh, that gym gets tougher. I know particularly for Mo, it's very tough. But, you know, from, from that perspective, we all know there is no real miracle sort of uh, drug out there because the biggest problem is ourselves, you know, as people. You know, we've got to learn. Like the main thing Mo hates about Jim is he actually has to pay for the bloody thing. They don't let him in for free. That's, that's. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem. That's the main, see, Mo's camera is off. So I know he's, he's probably, here we go. Here he is. <laughs> there we go. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather spend my money on the chips and the chocolates, right? I mean, we, we covered her, we covered Hershey last week in premium. So in fact, we mentioned Ozempic in, in that particular show, but yeah, my, my gym fees are going into snack foods. <laughs> that's the leap of faith. Just, I can't understand why, if there's a weight loss drug that I can take and then it helps me lose weight, aren't I going to have more chips? Well, here's the interesting part. So, Because I quite like Doritos, I'll tell you that much. The only thing that stops me eating more of them is because I know what's happening to me. <laughs> no, look, I think you're not wrong there, uh, Ghost. So, so I think early research, according to Goldman Sachs, shows that th these GLP-1 type, uh, type drugs are, are actually the target or the, the real sort of user at the moment is middle-aged women in the States with children in the household across the U.S. who would be buying weight loss supplements. Now, weight loss supplements means these are people who are trying to do diet adjustments, doing those kind of things. They would be the first to take up this type of, of um, you know, potential uh, drug like Wegovy, Manjaro, Zempic, and that's what they've noticed. That's That's happened. Now, it's not the general population that's been using it. There doesn't seem to be a broad-based adoption at this point. Now, that can be done to two things. One, it's not covered by your medical insurance. And two, I'm not sure that a lot of Americans are aware of it properly or would even care about it at this stage. So, the two, the interesting parts that have come up is with this particular thing is that you've had FDA approval. 
You've had the ability to roll it out through some of the big players, Nova Nordisk and uh, Lily have been able to, to roll these out and they are available and covered. And I know even in the UK, there's there's chance, you know, on NHS that if you went and had a look, you could probably get recovery at the moment in terms of, of, of something because of the perceived benefits like we spoke about earlier. Now, the problem is, and, and I use Dexcom as the as sort of the mirror for this. Immediately this was announced, and Ghost, you made a wonderful point there. People jump to Utopia and off they go. It's the same with AR. It was exactly the same. People had no idea what the revenue impact of AR was, but certain stocks that they perceived were, were involved with AR rocketed, and ones that weren't got absolutely smashed. Now, in this scenario... The hype machine works over time, absolutely. all the time. So, so if you look at the market's perception, the market's perception was diabetes was yesterday's problem, and this was going to solve everything, and so we don't need Dexcom anymore. Whereas the reality is, and, and here's a, an interesting point that I, that I made here, there is still an expanding level of population obesity and growth towards 780 million people being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes by 2045 globally. And that is even with this, what do you call it, uh, GLP-1 uh, type announcement on those type of drugs. And so what we have is we still have going to have an expansion of this cursed, cursed disease. And whether it's type 1 or type 2 doesn't really matter at this point from a Dexcom point of view because the solution works for both. And so until such time as, you know, we, we look at this as human beings and see how we can change ourselves, there's always going to be a place for something like Dexcom. In terms of Dexcom's market, they've got around 1.8 million people in the U.S. who have type 1 diabetes. And the difference is in type 2, it's about 5.6 million people. So why the announcement of Wegovy and uh, Zempic and these type of drugs was so big under the, the sort of suite on GLP-1? was that people looked at that and said, oh, the type 2 diabetes guys aren't going to be as big that quick, you know, in terms of numbers, because they'll be able to lose weight. Now, that would, you know, be an assumption that 5.6 million people decided overnight to actually start using this, could afford it, and were disciplined enough to do that, which I, I highly doubt um, that's the case. But I'm happy to be proven wrong. So from that addressable market... You know, that's where Dexcom sees its, its opportunity. And then secondly, Dexcom sees itself as complementary. Because if you are in a scenario where you can afford these weight loss drugs, and you are in a type 2 diabetes scenario, similar to what Mo was talking about, you are in a scenario where when you utilize this, you actually see the benefit of it by the change on your constant glucose monitoring device. So over the period of time that you're losing weight, be it a month, two months, three months, whatever it is, you start to see that improvement. So what it is, is a reinforcement. So the, the, the results that came out now, along with the, the more, let's call it sobering view, which is let's actually have a look at what the real numbers look like and what, when we lift the lid on this, what's actually happening inside post the launch of these drugs, are actually positive for Dexcom, not negative. And so for us, you also asked the question, do we have it? Yes, we do. Um, it's definitely one of our top, uh, top 10 stocks that we would hold. And we have been adding to it. We did add to it, you know, in the pullback. And for us also, you know, when we speak to your listeners and fellow investors, remember we have our own targets in mind for this particular stock and we would hold it for the long term. So we're not uh, looking at it and advising someone to buy it, to trade it, you know, to move uh, tomorrow on this or to sell if they have it. You know, people need to assess it for what it is. But I did think it was important to potentially touch on it 
talk about why it's pulled back and talk about the impact of that and see how post this big run in information, you're now seeing a digested uh, share price coming through. I just want to jump in. I mean, just just in the interest of time as well, you know, Dexcom. I think the the macro thesis definitely one that works out for us in terms of just healthcare. Uh, Ambrose being very good at choosing companies, I guess that make a difference, that provide a a product, for example, that makes a difference to people's lives. But on Dexcom specifically, there's a competitor that's Abbott Labs, and they have a similar product called Freestyle Libra. Uh, just maybe a quick question, because again, in Magic Markets Premium, we generally look at stocks, but then we also look at their competitors. Has Ambrose looked at the competitive landscape there are other players out there trying something different and then also the potential risk of a player like apple for example that has been talking about again healthcare diagnostics constant blood monitoring uh, in maybe future generations of the of the apple watch uh, what is your view on the competitive landscape and maybe in particular a company like abbott labs as an alternative so yes they are there are definitely uh, alternatives some of them are really good in terms of the market at the moment, Dexcom is, by different analysts, rated at around 60% of the market globally in terms of, of what they've probably got a really strong foothold in. It doesn't mean 60% of the market use them, but 60% of the market see them as the favorable product. In terms of, of what they've also done, they've been very smart about when the GLP-1 drugs were launched, they actually worked closely with the different suppliers to actually prove there was a, a parallel benefit of using both. They're also working very strongly with uh, the different medical insurers and the, the education of many of the healthcare providers. So as I said earlier, they've taken on 18,000 new doctors globally who are prescribing the Dexcom product. So where they, I think, have been incredibly successful is, one, making sure their product is now covered as much as possible in markets by medical insurance, stroke medical aid. Two, I also think they're very good at educating doctors. And three, it's a very simple product to use that the person next to you is probably using. You know, we've spoken on the show and I'm not selling it. I'm just telling you what I've seen. You know, before when my daughter, my oldest daughter was a swimmer and a couple of the swimmers were diabetics, they're all wearing Dexcom patches. So I asked the one day, I actually said to the one kid, um, why do you wear it? And they said, oh, it's so easy. It's so easy. And I think, you know, when you've got... Uh, the product being the brand's product, when you've got a brand and it's it's looked at by the people who use it as a favorable, easy-to-use product, it does give you a, a step forward. That said, uh, we all know what happened to Nokia. There are definitely scope and space for things to do. I think Apple, Apple could easily come in here and do something, but I also think this is quite a personal product. Uh, per, you know, Just from my own view, I think it's a personal. If you're using this and it works, there's not a, a real reason to change other than cost. And I think in most markets, cost has been taken care of. So my view on here would be, I would back Dexcom, but I don't think that they have an outright ownership of this market. So Abbott could come in, Apple might come in. It'll be something to watch. Justin, the main thing I'm taking from that swimming story is that swimming gives you uh, diabetes. There's a lot of correlation there, so I'm going to stick to my Doritos. But uh, one thing I will, one thing I will give you is I, I looked on ticket now. So over 10 years, and this is the thing is obviously I went to the valuation tab and reminded myself that it's a growth stock with a price sales multiple of uh, 10.8, which is definite, and a PE of 100. So we're in serious growth stock territory here. But this is the one thing I want to highlight over 10 years. Revenue went from $160 million a year to $3.4 billion a year. That's in 10 years, right? And they went from losing like $20 million, $20 million, $20 million, 60 40 
then ban in 2019, suddenly operating income swings positive, and it's been positive ever since. It was $142 million in 2019. On a last 12 months basis, it's over $500 million. So the thing with these sort of, you know, high growth companies is the trailing earnings multiple is always a bit dangerous because people do value this on total addressable markets and what sort of share of that could they get and what do the economics look like at scale and then what discount rate is appropriate to get there. It's almost a startup valuation on a business that's been listed for a hell of a long time and people struggle with this concept. Of course, the counter argument is it's not leaving much margin for error and obviously if a competitor does come in and eat their lunch, you know, when you're paying 10 or 11 times sales, it's quite risky. So the last question from my side is, you know, in terms of that risk, do you manage it by having uh, a sort of many of these sort of positions within the unicorn portfolio? So you're not betting the farm on any one company or how do you actually think about managing the risk here? So this particular stock would be anywhere between 1.3 and 1.5% in terms of its value of the portfolio. So we'd, you know, we'd be looking at anywhere between 70 to 85 counters in the, in the unicorn. And uh, the stock's quite big at 1.5%. But it's a stock, you know, we, we like this stock amongst others in the market. And, uh, you know, we would be, we're not married to a stock. And if we feel there is, you know, those kind of things don't tend to happen overnight unless there's a complete uh, step change in technology. And, uh, you know, from that perspective, we feel it's quite manageable in our portfolio. You know, in Unicorn, you can, you're picking up a 1.5% um, exposure. And we feel that's pretty fair. Um, in this, but we will definitely, you know, we would keep watching it. We've we've held the stock for a long time. We like it. What I will tell you is, if you if you are an investor and you're interested in them, give their uh, results presentation a listen to uh, when you get a chance. It's it's on their website. You can go to Dexcom and listen to their 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 management board. I think you'll find it surprising when you hear a management board speaking so passionately about a product that they have. Not about selling it, but about a product they have. And if you go to Abbott, I mean, Abbott has about a million products. So you, you're in this scenario here where you still have owners and managers behind this thing where they have a passion for what they do. So I think that when, if that wanes, I'm more interested and move more towards your camp there, Ghost. Yeah, just I think that's uh, that's very interesting perspective. And I think you make a couple of very valid points. Maybe just, again, as a, as a quick synopsis, again, cognizant of time, I, I want to now maybe pivot the discussion from Dexcom. It's been very interesting into a, just a quick, you know, two minute. What is Anbro's current macro view on markets? We've seen a lot of volatility. We know that you are long-term investors. You look at stocks. You look at this from a bottoms-up perspective. But what does the overall environment look like to you? And and maybe even from a sectoral play perspective, you know, which kind of sectors are looking particularly interesting for you given the macro backdrop we have right now? So very tough question, but a very good one. And I think it's probably a question for most investors. What, what are we doing? What have we done? What we have done for about the last six months is slowly build a position in long-dated U.S. treasuries in some of our portfolios. Now, why would we do that? Why would an equity manager do that? And how did we do that? Well, we did that by buying a, a long-dated bond ETF. And the idea behind that was, you know, we felt much like most investors that the market was getting heated. When yields on the 10-year treasuries got to late fours into the fives, we thought, sure, here we go. We've probably got about a 30% exposure in our unicorn to that with about a 20% closer to cash exposure. So we're sitting with about 50% in equities and we are making sure we're very diverse and we're also very cognizant of, you know, what the, the best defensives are going forward. We do feel, you know, nervous, 
I think, uh, you know, Ghost made a comment about certain tech companies that produce hardware versus just software. I think if we all are cognizant of the, I actually don't even like the term anymore. Everyone's talking about this Magnificent Seven, um, which have really just kept the index up. I mean, you, you can, if you have the NASDAQ, but you, you know, had the NASDAQ, but you, you look at the best or the top seven, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, you know, Meta, they've held up anything they've been. I mean, but if you didn't have them in your portfolio, the rest have just been average performers across the board. So much like a process, NASPERS in the SA, you know, top 40 type index and what it does to that index, these have done that to global indices. Now, everyone from Charlie Munger to, you know, average Joe investor has been talking about these stocks. And I think the reality is these guys have been able to push through increases. If we think back to Apple, you know, they, they, they pushed a $5 billion worth of revenue increase through on users on their iTunes platform earlier in the year. Microsoft did the same. Microsoft's already talking about a three basis point uh, revenue income from AI that they're deriving out of their cloud structure. So these are companies that are, are really looking defensive. Now, if we scale back and go back five years, 10 years, we'd be talking about other kinds of defensive companies. And now we're talking about some big tech stocks that are actually very defensive. So for us, particularly in Unicorn, you know, we do have these kind of stocks in there. We probably had them for a very long time, but we are cognizant of values. And we are looking at a scenario when interest rates do start to fall, we'd be sellers of that uh, long-dated bond position and be reinvesting that capital back into better priced biotechs and tech stocks and guys changing the future for tomorrow. Just one correction there on Microsoft. Only because we're so used to saying basis points, it's three percentage points. And I know that because I read it the other Sorry. day. I only know that I, I realize I sound like the most annoying modal. modal. I nearly said no, no, the most right. annoying modal ever. Jeez, Mo's going to hit me after this show. Most annoying, <laughs> know it all. It's a good joke there for Mo knows. Oh my gosh, that's it. My friendship with him is over. That's the end of Magic Markets, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. But anyway. It's okay, it's okay guys. Mo, Mo knows. Yeah, Mo, Mo knows. clearly knows. But uh, <laughs> it's actually, it's three percentage points AI, which is immense, right? And on that base, um, and Azure is growing like absolute crazy in their cloud stuff. So yeah, I only know this because I had a look at Microsoft in proper detail the other day. It's compared to Apple. So my sort of view is I think Apple underperforms over the next 10 years relative to Microsoft because the last 10 years, they've been almost identical, actually. If you look at total return, next 10 years, I would choose Microsoft over Apple in a heartbeat. Maybe that's a nice place to end it, actually, just as if you had to choose between Microsoft and Apple for the next 10 years. Which one would you buy and why? I think the advantages of Microsoft are quite transparent, to your point, Ghost. But I think Apple's always surprised when they do something, they don't tend to be first. They tend to wait and whatever they launch is actually normally a better quality item to a better quality revenue base. So I don't think the, the secret's out there yet for Apple of where they're going to go. On what we know right now on the transparent basis, I think you'd be right on Microsoft. all, what do you say? I think that's fantastic. I mean, we, we, we've liked Microsoft for, for a long time, a lot of key drivers there. Uh, Apple fans as well. I mean, I'm part of the Apple ecosystem. I've liked Apple for a while. I, I recently took profit on Apple. And again, just probably watching to observe to see what's the next kind of catalyst for the upside. I mean, iPhone 15 has disappointed markets at all. But, but I mean, you saw that reaction on their release last week where the immediate reaction in the market was sharply negative and then it bounced back the very next day. Now, again, potentially linked to some of those macro factors that we've just touched on, Justy. But again, I think that's a great place to, to leave it. 
just again in the interest of time and our attempt at a shorter format, uh, we hope our listeners have enjoyed this. A bit of a blend between the macro as well as some detailed analysis on that stock on Dexcom. Uh, Justin, thanks for being on the show. And to our listeners, you know where to find us. We're on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod. One word, it's at Finance Ghost. It's at Mohammed Nala. And you can also go and find the team at Anbro. Their website is www.anbro.co. Uh, And I know that you guys at Anbro are really quite receptive to people reaching out to you with their questions. So again, I'll urge any of our listeners to do that. Reach out to the team. We hope you've enjoyed this show. And Jasty, looking forward to having you back at some point in time again in the future. Thanks for having me, Ghost and and Mo, and to your listeners. Thanks very much to all the fellow investors out there. Cheers, Jasty. Ciao. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future. Invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.